Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. And in every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share the inspiring stories behind the making of their books and the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way. So what are you? Have you ever been asked that question, Myla? What are you? What am I? I mean, I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm, <laughs> I'm in my mid-20s. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but as, a, as an Asian woman. Right. Oh, woman, my goodness. And, and a woman of a certain ethnicity that maybe folks aren't sure, you know, what is she? Have you, has anyone ever oh randomly approached you and asked, you know, oh, what, yeah. what are you? Yeah. That's why I think I can respond with a little bit of sarcasm because you know exactly what that question means. And it's like, well, let me answer in other ways. But um, yeah, as an Asian American woman, I get it all the time. Being Hmong American, it's a little bit of uh, ethnically ambiguous for people who don't know who, what Hmong American are um, and yeah. that they can't identify it right away. So I've gotten everything from, are you are you are you Chinese? Are you Filipino? Are you Hawaiian? All of yeah. the above, you know, my last name, nobody knows. So that's a very familiar question yeah. um, that I get. Well, I confess, I'm probably a person, I don't usually ask the question out loud, but I am thinking it often when I see <laughs> a person and it's a little ambiguous. I'm not quite sure what ethnicity he or she may be. I mean, that person's definitely mixed. My mm -hmm. wife and I have sometimes, my wife who's African-American, like me, has, we've sometimes looked at each other and said, that person's definitely mixed with something there. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it could be, it might sound, you know, sort of uh, uh, offensive in some ways, but, but it's a legitimate question. We live in uh, uh, an era where we are able to see just the beauty of diversity of God's people and that multi-ethnic, multicultural beauty on display. And wonderful thing about Chandra's book is that she gives us that perspective mm -hmm. from the other side. And right. um, such an important book uh, to help us have the conversation and have the language to talk about it in the, in, in the right way. Yeah, I love that she even mentions that question. So what are you? Because I think if you're a bi POC, you may resonate with that question, or you just know that you know exactly what that question means. And so even when I was, you know, reading it, or it's the premise of her book, I thought that was really interesting because I was like, I know what she's asking. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, loved our conversation with her. Um, I think I'm going to give a little bit of the podcast away um, just because I really loved this nugget that she gave. So hopefully this isn't um, spoiling the episode. Hopefully it makes people stay on. Well, go um, for it. But she said that, you know, when people talk about multi-ethnicity, they're talking about different mono-ethnic people coming together right. and making, you know, and becoming a diverse group. But Chandra Crane is talking about me as an individual being mixed, like that's multi-ethnic. And when she said that, I was just like mind blown, like, yeah. wow, that is next level, you know, like a, a conversation yeah. that I don't think we're having currently and I think needs to be had as we're thinking about future generations. Yes, that was wonderful.
Yeah, so I mean, such a good conversation. Ed and I really loved it. Um, and so we hope uh, you listeners enjoy it as much as we do. So listen up. So we're excited to welcome Chandra Crane, author of Mixed Blessing to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome, Chandra. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, So we're just going to kind of dive right into the questions. Um, And so could you tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing? What's your vocation, your ministry, your calling? I've been on university staff for the last about 15 years, but I just took a new position um, moving away from direct campus ministry to being um, part of the multi-ethnic initiatives team. And that's been really special in this new season of preparing to launch the book and finally about to graduate from seminary. And so on that team, we are getting together all the resources that campus staff have been creating some wonderful resources, Bible studies, and even social media posters and graphics. And we're finding a way to put it all in one place specifically for ministry to mixed students and faculty. It sounds like your book is going to be perfect for for (laughs) it is. It's almost like God has got the timing and it's in his hands. (laughs) Could you kind of give us a short introduction of your book? So the subtitle, which InterVarsity Press did a wonderful job of finessing and wordsmithing, is Embracing the Fullness of Your Multi-Ethnic Identity. Hmm. And I feel like that hits the points of the book so well, figuring out what it means to have a multi-ethnic or mixed identity, figuring out how it is a blessing, and also acknowledging how it can be painful and difficult in a mono-ethnic normative society, and then figuring out how that fits into the ministry and the calling and being a blessing to others, as well as being a blessing to ourselves, working Hmm. with some of that inner turmoil. Hmm. Um, Mixed marriages, right, have only been legal for 50, 60 odd years, but now we're seeing generations of mixed folks actually entering into mixed, mixed, mixed squared (laughs) marriages and having children who are mixed in a variety of ways. Um, and so I think the culture is finally catching up both within university, but also globally, um, nationally to realize that again, like I said, there's this normativity behind assuming that multi-ethnic means a group of people who are mono-ethnic wow. coming together. Yeah. Right. And as we're thinking about that revelation, um, new heavens, new earth community, realizing that there will be those of us who are multi-ethnic within ourselves, not just as part of a larger multi-ethnic body. Well, I love that you're pioneering this conversation. My nieces are half Hmong American and half white. And my sister, she talks all the time about how do I raise like mixed kids, you know, and what are the implications? Because um, this will be the first generation essentially of a lot of, um, you know, mixed Hmong American kids. And so even learning how to navigate that is really interesting. So I'm excited for your book. I already (laughs) told my sister all about it. (laughs) So I think it'll be so good. But you know, we want to talk a little bit about even your journey as a writer. And so even as you're thinking about, you know, when you were a child or in your youth, did you ever think that you would one day be a published author? Like, was that something you thought about? I've loved writing ever since I was a kid. I always figured I would be a teacher. So my bachelor's is in education. I taught for a few years um, in second and third grade. But I felt a calling to being able to, with my students, to be able to say things are tough. I, I taught in a low-income school. 
things are tough and I wanted to be able to tell them the next level of you're learning the multiplication tables and how to read matters because Jesus loves you. You have the right to have a dignified education. Um, not that I, I'm sure I always provided that, but I wanted to be able to go to that next level. And so that's why I joined a university was to be able to hopefully, and specifically doing graduate faculty ministry to be able to help the next generation of teachers figure out what it means to teach with dignity and affirming dignity in students and helping them to understand, even if it's in a secular quote unquote setting and you mm-hmm. can't mention Jesus. So that, so that was the background. I feel like I'm still a teacher, mm-hmm. right? I feel like I'm still using my teacher education in writing about Ooh, 20 years ago now, in a counseling session, I had the counselors speak a word of prophecy over me, which don't tell all of my reformed brethren. <laughs> you guys don't hear this. But I really believe that word of prophecy because what they said was, oh, I'm going to get a little teary. God will use your pain and your experience to bless others through writing a book. Mm. So I've held on to that promise for the last 20 years. Absolutely. And yeah, as you're thinking about you know, holding on to that promise, like as you were writing and that, that writing journey, like, was it easy? Was it hard? Were there moments where you were like, <laughs> I'm holding on to this prophetic word because nothing else will get me through it. Like we would love to just even hear about your journey as a writer, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, all of that. No, it hasn't been easy, but I have seen the ways in which God has orchestrated and paved the way. I mean, just the fact that I came up with Al She, we both were young staff at about the same time. And so I saw him at least once a year as he was running the book table for our graduate faculty staff meetings. Um, and now he's a senior editor and he's my editor. Wow. I went through a stage of becoming arrogant about the people I knew and the things God had put in my life. And then I, as a corrective, I went to the opposite extreme and said, well, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal that Jamar and I were in seminary together. It's not a big deal that I know Al. And I think now I've come to a healthy place of clinging to that promise and saying, no, it's a big deal. And it's a gift. Mm. This is a gift. And it's kind of an absurd gift that I have these connections that I have. And I have these people who believe in me and have drawn out the best in me. Um, But it has, it's been difficult. Um, But on the spiritual level that there is that sense of wrestling with what does it mean to not have a quiet, peaceful life, which is very scriptural, Mm -hmm. right? But to have this grandiose, larger than life where I am blessed with these connections and I have something of a public profile and to not get arrogant, which is sanctification. So yay, (laughs) sanctification. (laughs) But it is, it's it's a journey and it's a difficult one. My, my sweet babies have made sacrifices and my husband has made sacrifices. So when I was feeling like giving up, saying, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to push through. I'm going to finish this draft. I'm going to do this spiritual work because it, it matters. And I've gone too far to give up now. I'm curious, Chandra, um, what are some of the influences? What kinds of, what's your reading diet like? What are some of your favorite books or authors from, you know, growing up to, to the present day? That's a great question. And I don't know any bibliophile who in some ways, has an answer right off the top of their head. Um, as a child, I loved the Anne of Green Gables series. Mm-hmm. Um, I also loved the Laura Ingle Wilder s- series, which is interesting, right, as, mm-hmm. as things have come to light that really were there all along, and <laughs> we should have seen. I remember reading that series with my parents, and I think, what did my Black adoptive dad think 
was he just doing the, the hard minority work of trying to not be wounded and pushing aside things like minstrel shows and mentions of darkies that you <laughs> see in Laura Ingalls Wilder and how much was he wounded by it. So I'm now trying to, to kind of do a corrective and I can't remember the name of the series, but there are several series from the perspective of natives, right? Dealing with this colonization, dealing with the westward mm-hmm. expanse, manifest destiny. So those are powerful reading those with my daughter. And then lately, as I said, I'm finishing up seminary. So <laughs> my diet has been a lot of meat <laughs> and heavy, weighty oh, things, yeah. which are, yeah. you know, commentaries and, wow. and things like that. So figuring out how to find joy in that has been tricky. Um, and then, of course, I can plug every IVP author that's come out recently and, and the there beauty of their stories. There you go. Right? Feel, feel free to do so. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Esau Macaulay, I uh, yeah. was so tickled. Our pastor mentioned him uh, in his sermon this past week. Um, I love, I love Imitation of Solitude and Silence. Um, what a powerful book that is. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm horribly biased, but Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. <laughs> so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is such good stuff, and we're only in our first segment of this talk, (laughs) and so we're going to just take a quick break, Um, but when we return, we're going to talk with Chandra about her journey of getting published, and so stay tuned, and thank you guys for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. We are still stuck in this global pandemic and we have no idea how long this will take. And so I'm sure everyone is wondering how we can thrive through these challenging days. It won't surprise you to know that we think reading is a great way to feed your heart, mind and soul. And IVP can help. Visit everyvoicenow.com and you'll find new and forthcoming releases from IVP by Authors of Color. And stay tuned for a special discount on today's featured book. Well, welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth, and with us today is our very special guest, Chandra Crane, author of Mixed Blessing, which releases on December 15th. Very exciting. So Chandra, let's talk about your journey to reach this point in publishing a book. I know from personal experience what a huge undertaking it is to actually write a book, to have the audacity to think (laughs) you could write a book. But it's a huge task for you for your family, Mm -hmm. for your sanity. Um, (laughs) Could you tell us a little bit, when did you start thinking, I could do this, I'm gonna write a book? That's a great question. So another book, another IVP book that was foundational for me was Sunday Tucker Frazier's Check All But Apply, Hmm. right? And the first time I read that was in 2006. And it was the first time anyone had said to me, it is good that you're mixed. It would not be better for you to have been monoethnic, this is something the Lord has done, uh, which was so healing and so powerful. Mm. And so I bought several copies and gave them to everyone uh, I could find who I thought they would bless. Mm. And then suddenly I couldn't find any more copies uh, because it went out of print. And so I started, I mean, I'll be honest, I started harassing poor Al I said, why aren't these on the table? And his response was, well, we need the next generation. We need the updated book, both in terms of new challenges and new things, such as having mixed folks, having mixed children, 
there was a certain point in which, gosh, probably nine years ago now, another friend who's also on staff, Andy Kim, he looked at me and he said, well, why don't you write it? (laughs) Which is the most horrifying, beautiful, (laughs) terrifying, (laughs) empowering thing you could say to someone, right? Who's clinging to this prophecy of you will write someday. And Mm -hmm. I had done uh, some articles by this point and done a few things. So that began a long journey, like I said, nine years ago, right? So life ebbs and flows. You have children, you have seminary, you have family matters, you have all sorts of things that, that are important and good. And so focusing on those, but I guess three years ago now, the, the writing workshop, Al and Lisa Rick offered the writing workshop for university staff. And so I went to that. And so that was the beginning of writing the proposal, hopefully and possibly go under contract, mm-hmm. uh, which, right, as I'm, I'm sure you guys know, the most ter- the terrifying idea is submitting a proposal and not, not being accepted for whatever reason, the book not being something that is needed by that publisher. The second most terrifying thing is being under contract, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that and saying, I'm legally contractually obligated to give this book to, and right, and to give this piece of my heart, to give yeah. this time yeah. and this, this piece of who I am. So uh, it has been quite a journey. But the whole way I've had people saying, pursue this, pursue this at the point or pursue this at the rate that God has for you. But yes, it is coming. Eventually you will be in that place where you can write this book. I wanted to ask you a question about your ethnic background. And that's probably a key piece of, of uh, your book and your ex- writing through your experience. But could you share what is your, your ethnic background? Sure. So that, like everything else, <laughs> is not an easy answer. Ethnically, my mom is white American. My birth father was a Thai national. So they met when he came over to the U.S., to New Mexico, to, to get his college education. But things didn't work out between them. And so eventually when I was five, my mom remarried and mm-hmm. she remarried a black man. Wow. And so he adopted me. He was the only dad I ever knew. I did not meet my birth father before he passed away. And of course, he's the one who raised me who taught me how to ride a bike and who walked me down the aisle. Hmm. He actually passed away a while ago. So that Hmm. was an interesting moment of grief and also reflecting on my ethnic and cultural story. Uh, I also grew up in New Mexico. So being part of that culture, which is in itself a mestizo culture, right? Hmm. You have the, the intersection of native peoples, specifically Navajo or Diné peoples with, Mexican folks. I grew up with fusion. I grew yeah. up with, again, everything that's popular now. It definitely informed on the painful side, the sense of I don't fit in anywhere. But I think what I'm realizing now, 40 years later, after you know I, I started this journey on the earth, realizing it also formed in me a sense of we're not home yet. So that when I became a believer in college, things started to co- to click things started to connect I started to connect the dots of there's something good about not being too comfortable and also this sense of finding beauty in so many different cultures uh, and and this sense of joy of what it means to to have a meal that's fusion 
right? A meal that right. has green chili from New Mexico <laughs> and fish sauce and blah from <laughs> Thailand and, love it. and all love sorts it. of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What does your family look like today? Great question. My, my husband, um, I married, is a white American, but he grew up with parents who hosted a lot of international students. So he actually grew up celebrating uh, the Moon Festival and wow. making dumplings, right? Wow. So he has this heart for multiculturalism. And, and we have the blessing of being part of a multi-ethnic church here in Jackson, where we have, we have one of the few head pastors, teaching elders, who is African-American within our denomination. And I feel spoiled, right? Because in some ways I've got it easy. Raising my kids in a multi-ethnic, multicultural world is not as hard for me as it might be for other folks. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Quickly, back to the question about um, the process of writing a book. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the process like for you? And um, what what were the biggest challenges or hurdles that you had to overcome to actually get this book done? Sure. Uh, specifically, def- definitely that time frame of trying mm-hmm. to find places to write, uh, literally as well as schedule-wise. Um, wanting to be with my kids to write and, and also finding, I think it goes back to a sense of calling. I believe firmly that being a mom and a wife is very important, but also I don't want to idolize that. And even while I want to value stay-at-home moms, housewives, those who are really never getting a vacation or a break, right? Uh, Affirming myself on my own calling that I am writing and I am doing campus ministry and I can do that well and not abandon my family wholly. Hmm. So that is probably not the short answer, but there you go. No, but quickly, (laughs) what what key piece of advice would you give to uh, other authors of color who are thinking about maybe I have a book in me, what, mm-hmm. what, what sure. kinds of encouragement would you give them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think relying on community, hmm. not being too proud to, right? It's easier said than done, but there is a certain actual humility aspect in being able to say, yes, please take my kids to the park because I can't. And, and being willing to say, it's okay to not be selfish, but to put myself first so that I can bear this book into life so that I can birth this book so that I can make this book a resource to other people of color as well as the dominant culture. We need to take one more break, but when we return, we will talk more with Chandra about her book, Mixed Blessing, and what makes her the right person to have written this book. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. It's time for our Behind the Book segment, where we pull back the curtain and give you more of the behind the scenes publishing stories of our guest books. Today, you'll hear from Al Shee, who served as the editor for Chandra's book. Take a listen. I'm Al Shee. I'm a senior editor at InterVarsity Press. I've been at IVP for 26 years now, and over the last 19 years or so, I've worked with about 280 authors on 350 some books. And I recently counted up and found out that 70 of those books were written by authors of color, about 20%. And I'm thrilled that we are now adding Chandra Crane to that list of authors and books with her book, uh, Mixed Blessing. 18 years ago, we published a book, uh, Check All That Apply by Sundy Frazier. 
And that was the first book from a Christian publisher about what it meant to be biracial, to have a multiracial, multi-ethnic identity. And it was, a, it was a groundbreaking book at the time, probably ahead of its time. And Check All That Apply is now out of print. And so we've been looking, we've been saying, we need a book like this for the next generation, especially as the country continues to diversify and there are younger people uh, grappling with issues of identity and what it means to be biracial, multi-ethnic. And so one of the things I really appreciate about her is how she gives voice to this tension, uh, this sense of you never know who you are or where you fit in, but you're here for a reason. And all the parts of who you are, all that God has gifted you and your identity and your heritage and cultural background is there for a purpose and is there to minister to others and to bless others. One of the challenges during the editorial process was that when the book came back from editing, we discovered that Chandra's voice had been muted or changed in a few ways that didn't sound like her. And this was, this highlighted to us the, the challenges when editorial staff who are predominantly white are unfamiliar with ethnic distinctives of people of color, authors of color, and those that they are describing and sharing their stories and perspectives. So. Chandra pushed back, and I'm glad she did, because we were able to go back and say, here's what happened in the editing process, and here's what we can do to make those voices, to restore those voices and make sure that they are heard in ways that are consistent with their identity. Uh, so it was a learning experience for IBP, how we edit and how we represent our authors well, our authors of color. What is my hope for what this book will do? Well, I can speak as a parent because I am the parent of two biracial children, and I hope that this book is for them and others like them, that they see themselves in this book, that they are seen uh, and they feel seen, they feel recognized that, ah, somebody gets me, somebody understands what it's like to have this this uh, mixed bicultural, uh, multi-ethnic background. Uh, and if. Chandra can forge a way in the world of being who she fully is. Uh, that gives me hope that people like my sons and others like them uh, can find their way as well. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Um, so today we've been talking with author Chandra Crane about her new book, Mixed Blessing, which releases again December 15th. And so, Chandra, can you tell us a little bit about your book? I know we've been talking about the journey and the process and more about your experience as a writer, but where did the genesis of the idea come from? What inspired you or motivated you? So the idea came, as I said, from Check All That Apply, Sunny Fraser's book. And I think Ed had mentioned before the break that we would talk about what made me the right person to write this book. Why is this the right time? And I was able to actually have a conversation with Sunday to, to interview her some and just pick her brain for all of the, the wonderful things that brought her to the point of writing Check All. And by the end of the conversation, I was crying. She was crying. Mm. One of the most precious things she said was, this is your time. Wow. You are the right person for this book. And she said, I've been praying for the person that would come along. Hmm. and take up this new mantle. So she did such a beautiful job of passing the baton to me, yeah, uh, encouraging me and bestowing on me this, this weighty project of telling hmm. the story of so many mixed folks. And so that's another thing that I've been carrying with me during mm -hmm. the difficult times was that blessing that she bestowed on me to say, hmm. yes, absolutely. I will speak a word of 
truth and encouragement over you. This is the time you are the person. Mm-hmm. And I've had Al say that as well. It, yeah. Usually in, in his wonderful dry way, when I'm having my author angst, he would say, this is you, go write. <laughs> this is your time, go write. You can do this, go write. Yeah. So it's, it's been sweet to have a multitude of people speaking that over me. You know, thank you for that because I think, I think sometimes we forget the courage that it requires for authors to write because mm-hmm. it's not yeah. just content you're giving, it's, mm. it's vulnerability, it's your story, it's, right. you know, bits and pieces of you. And so, like you said, heavy, I think is the right word because mm-hmm. such a, it's your experience that you're giving to people, not just words on a page and information, right? And so thank you for carrying that. Talking a little bit about your book, maybe the issue or the problem that you wanted your book to solve or, you know, what is the solution that you're trying to provide? I think the issue is not being seen. Hmm. People not seeing mixed folks within their spheres of influence, within their churches, within their communities. And so in large part, just giving a voice to, to all the people I interviewed, being entrusted again to tell their stories in the book and to, to give them a voice, but within my own voice as a writer, figuring out what it means to, to point out, hey, we're here and we deserve a voice and we need a voice, figuring out what it means to say, Actually, those of us who are people of color who either have a mixture of all minority voices, right? So someone who is, as, as one man in the book, is Japanese and Chinese, or those of us who are mixed with something white, having the authority and the ability to say, we are not allies to the fight for justice. We are people of color. But, but because we bear either pale skin privilege or the privilege of being monoethnic and not being questioned quite as much. There is an aspect of what does it look like to be in this justice fight without denigrating our own phenotypical expressions while saying Black lives matter, brown lives are beautiful. To hold that intention to fight against colorism, but not also hate our own bodies is a story that's difficult to tell, but it's sweet to tell. And I think also, in addition to providing the visibility for those with mixed stories, also providing that community, that place to say we deserve to have a space where we can lament and laugh together about what it means to be unseen, the awkwardness of code switching, Mm -hmm. um, the sense of never being home, but also making a home wherever you go, has been really powerful just to start that conversation or, or even further that conversation because it's, it's been started, but to further that conversation in this specific time for this era, for this generation, and say, this is our table. We mm. deserve to come here. We don't have to stand awkwardly in the background. We don't even have to bring our own folding chair. We get beautiful carved chairs to, to do this analogy to death. <laughs> we deserve to sit at this table as full members mm-hmm. and, and, break bread with others like us. And that that is actually Mm. God's vision for it. That is what he wants for us to Mm. affirm people. And that has been really powerful. I wish we had like five hours because I felt like (laughs) in that one answer was 10 podcast episodes of things. Man, so much to talk about. And I think just how necessary it is for 
voices like yours and your voice to be heard during especially a time like this. And so I know we want to kind of wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you, why does your particular ethnic voice, your your mixed ethnic voice, why does it matter in a subject like this? And what's lost without your voice? And what is gained with your voice being able to contribute to this world? I'm very wordy. God bless Al. He has edited me while retaining my voice and helped me to figure out how to answer things succinctly, Um, but with nuance, right? Which is definitely the mixed story. I think because I am the particular personality type I am, (laughs) because I'm not an indirect communicator, because I am very direct and I was raised in a culture where you just tell it like it is. I think that's been powerful for for me, having that sense of privilege, but also having the sense of disprivilege to bring that together. What does it look like to, mm. to have a voice that is direct and says, hey, I'm here, but in a humble way, in a way that doesn't denigrate and belittle other voices, mm. and in a way that can work with a majority culture, with people who are primarily privileged, to open their eyes and to say, here is a way that you are missing the least of these. And let me walk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I feel strong and as much as I feel able, and maybe let this community walk with you in seeing your privilege and stewarding it well. And so I'm grateful for the ways in which my upbringing and my personality and my experiences have given me that place to do both, to speak truth to power, but also to, to receive rest and to receive a sense of value and to receive a blessing. And then we're going to wrap it up with this last question. Um, And so what is one area in the church where a voice like yours is sorely needed, but currently missing? I only get one area. (laughs) (laughs) Multiple, if if you would like, say it all. (laughs) Check check all that applies. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So I'll say one, one overreaching area, one broad area, I think, as I alluded to earlier, is the fight for justice and is the reminder to tell the church, one, you, you don't have to do this all on your own. So to majority culture, pastors and congregations, you don't have to do this all on your own. In fact, we don't want you to do this all on your own because that's not true justice. But also to say, here's the way to engage justice with nuance to look at complicated things and not try and just reduce them to their basest area to not try and reduce them to the simplest expression, but to say, this is actually nuanced and it's complicated and it's uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. we don't have all the answers. So speaking that truth into them and then speaking, as I said, rest into minority communities, into Mm -hmm mixed stories and saying, I love the Be the Bridge ministry, but I feel like white folks should have to be the bridge, not mixed folks. Mm. Because a lot of times that's what we're asked. We're not asked to build bridges, which is powerful and good. We're asked to be bridges. And as, as other philosophers and theologians have said, um, the bridge isn't my back. So I think it was Akemeni Uwan who quoted Gloria Anzaldúa saying, no, you don't have to walk over me to reach a place of justice and goodness and valuable multicultural churches. You get to help me have the bricks that I need and let's build this bridge together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important because we're tired, right? Minorities are tired. And I think mixed 
minorities are tired in a very unique way. Well, thank you, Chandra, for your time um, and just so much of your wisdom. Um, it's just, we're so yes. excited to have you on this show and this podcast. And so um, we look forward to seeing yes. the impact your book has on the church yes. and the world. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank yeah. you for having me. And, you know, I'll plug IVP again. Thank you for highlighting my voice and being willing, not because it's trendy or because it's the bottom line in terms of finances, but being willing to to take a risk on authors of color. Again, not because we're risky, but because the system is broken. And so it is risky for a publisher to say, no, we're going to highlight these folks and their voices uh, no matter what the cost. So thank Mm -hmm. you very much. Ed, I'm so glad we could talk to Chandra today. I mean, it was such a good story of how her unique background and her story actually resulted in this new book called Mixed Blessing. Um, So can you let people know how to find out more about Chandra if they're interested? Absolutely. You can find her website at ChandraCrane.com. You can follow her at Twitter at Chandra L. Crane or on Instagram at Mixed Blessing Book. And her book, Mixed Blessing, can be found at ivpress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free shipping in the U.S. So take advantage of that great deal. You can find out all of these details on our webpage at everyvoicenow.com, where you'll find also the show notes for this episode and much more. Thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee and Jonathan Clausen is our sound engineer. We'd be grateful if you could review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we'd love feedback. So please feel free to get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at info at everyvoicenow.com. And so join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. <laughs>